Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. Today's topic, Cape Girardeau UFO. Now this article comes to us from a while ago, back in February of 2015 by Bill Wickerson. And the title is, The 1941 Cape Girardeau UFO Crash. This can be found on Cape Girardeau Columbia Tribune.com. And it says uh, on its website, ufocenter.com, the Seattle based National UFO Reporting Center, New Fork, has accounts of 1,857 UFO sightings. I'm sure it's a lot more than that by now. Observed throughout most sections of Missouri since the early 1950s. Because only about 5% of UFO witnesses actually report their experiences. The total number of UFO encounters is no doubt much higher. Well, certainly if you know you have 1,800 UFO reported sightings, and that's only 5%, my goodness, we must be looking at uh, 20 times that many, maybe 40,000, 50,000 UFO sightings. That's really a, a huge number when you think about it. It says, an account of a UFO crash in southeast Missouri preceded the well-known Roswell, New Mexico crash by almost six years. In 1991, the late Leonard Stringfield, an early UFO investigator and former civilian consultant to UFO operations at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, in the 1950s, published an account of an alleged 1941 UFO crash near Cape Girardeau. Stringfield's article appeared in the July 1991 issue of Status Report, a monthly publication on UFO activities and investigations. The article, based on information received from Charlotte Mann, who was a young child living in Cape Girardeau in 1941 at the, t at the time, Charlotte's grandfather, the Reverend William Huffman, was pastor of Cape's Red Star Baptist Church. So this is going back a long ways. Just think about that, 1941. This is, you know, we're in the middle of, uh, or just at the beginning, rather, of World War II, at pre-cell phone, pre-internet. In fact, a lot of people didn't even have telephones. So this is this is going on now, uh, almost 80 years ago. It says Charlotte told Stringfield her grandfather received a call in spring 1941 from local police asking him to travel with them to the site of an airplane crash outside the city limits to minister to the victims of the crash. Now that might sound a little um, out of the ordinary today, but from what I've can gather this was kind of a common thing back in that time where people they would actually take a, a pastor with them to a car crash or a plane crash where they knew there was no uh, hope that these people could recover uh, they were just on the way there and so they took the pastor with them the same way they might take an EMT with them today when the Reverend Huffman arrived on the scene Police officers, firefighters, FBI agencies, emergency medical crew, and numerous military personnel, presumably from the Army Air Base in nearby Sykeston, were viewing what Huffman described as a disc-shaped object, the interior of which contained a small metal chair, gauges, dials, and hieroglyphic-like inscriptions and writings around the inside. Now this is odd because this is a, a lot like what we heard about at Roswell, the crash that happened six years later. 
this hieroglyphic type writings on the inside of the craft. And this definitely falls into the category of a mechanical device. And then we talk about the different types of UFOs. Well, this type of UFO is something that's there. It's three-dimensional. It's in the flesh. <laughs> in this case, in the metal. Now, it says, he also saw three entities, or non-human people. Well, now here you go. They called them non-human people. Today, we, refer, we would refer to these as maybe aliens, extraterrestrials, or even non-human entities. It says he also saw he also saw three entities or non-human people lying on the ground. Two were just outside the craft, with a third somewhat further away. He decided the he described the bodies as hairless, with large heads, big eyes, small mouths, and very small ears. The Reverend Huffman said the dead individuals were about four feet tall and seem to have no hard bone structure, but very long arms and fingers. Uh, I'm not seeing just yet what color these things were, but it almost sounds like a classic gray alien. And the fact that they were laying outside the craft, the craft crashed, we have to wonder if this was a, just, you know, if they were if they were discharged on impact, or if the military had already gotten there and, and removed um, these aliens out of the craft. It says, shortly after viewing the dead bodies, okay, and we know they're dead, Reverend Huffman was asked to pray over them. Upon doing so, he was escorted by military officials to a nearby location where he was sworn to secrecy and strongly warned to never discuss the crash with anyone. Now, some people might, um, some of the skeptics might take issue with, well, this pastor was asked to pray for them. Let's keep in mind, this is 1941. Society wasn't nearly as jaded as it is today, and at that time, uh, even even people that weren't believers, you know, really would tend to show respect toward a pastor. A pastor hadn't become an object of ridicule at that time from Hollywood. I mean, a pastor was considered to be uh, a position of trust and a position of respect in the community. So. It doesn't strike me out of the ordinary at all. It's completely believable and completely normal to me that this pastor would have been taken here to pray with these, to pray over these aliens. That's what they did back then. When they didn't, when they didn't know what else to do, they prayed. And you know, maybe that would have been a good idea a lot more often in the society that we live in today. Maybe if nothing else, it would have given people a few minutes not to make the wrong decision. Just if for no other reason. Uh, the pause and taking an immediate action sometimes is better. Sometimes it's better to do nothing than to do something. But in this case here, this whole uh, this whole story has a ring of truth to it. That is exactly how I would have expected people in Missouri uh, to act at that time. To see this pastor called out to help, uh, to offer assistance, and to be re and to have been treated with respect and dignity is exactly what I would have expected in 1941. Now, some people might not see that because they're not old enough to remember how things used to be. But being a little older, I can see that is exactly how things used to be. Now it goes on and says, Huffman did not know. Huffman did not know what was told to others at the scene, but he was told this didn't happen. You didn't see this. This is national security. 
and is never to be talked about again. That also sounds exactly like something that he would have been told by the military on site. Possibly the military on site had no idea that this pastor was even going to show up. But they were containing the site. And we see this over and over again when the military gets involved in a UFO encounter or especially in a UFO crash. Given the large number of individuals present, it was highly likely the secret would eventually be revealed. Well, that's true, but it wasn't going to be revealed for a long time. Remember, um, the U.S. government was able to develop uh, nuclear weapons without them being revealed until they bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I mean, they put up giant dams uh, to generate the power to build the bombs, um, all this sort of thing. And they were able; they were so good at compartmentalizing uh, information that they were able to keep the whole thing top secret right up until the time they dropped the bombs. So it, what we see here is the military containing a UFO crash site and doing what they do best, and that is containing the information about this wreck by compartmentalizing it. it and they were very good at it, and they were successful at it. It says, given the large number of individuals present, it was highly likely the secret would eventually, would eventually be revealed. And although the Reverend Huffman intended to keep silent regarding his participation in the affair, he was not completely successful. Among those who eventually learned the secret were his wife, Floyd, and his granddaughter, Charlotte, or his granddaughter, Charlotte, and the brother of Cape Girardeau County Sheriff, Clarence Shade, who partially confirmed the story in a notarized sworn affidavit. In addition to the accounts of the UFO crash, passed on to her by her grandmother, Charlotte recalled one of the first situations in which she heard about it. Quote, Well, the first awareness that I had of it, the dead bodies, is actually a picture that my father had, and it was at a dinner party, and I heard rumors and bits and pieces over conversations, but it was a picture, an old picture, because it had, it was like the old Kodak with little lines and scallops around it. There were two men holding up a non- Human is the best way I can describe it. A little entity, a little person who appeared to be about four foot tall. They had him underneath the armpits with arms outstretched on either side of him. Unfortunately, that picture was not in Charlotte's possession, and the UFO researchers have been unable to locate it. Now, that sounds like something that might have been taken by the locals when they showed up, you know, or even maybe a, like a local press person. I mean, it was not uncommon in those days that there was a car wreck um, for pictures to be taken of the car wreck uh, and even pictures of the unfortunate uh, occupants uh, who had expired to have had their picture taken. So it would be no surprise to me that if word had gotten out maybe on a police radio or somebody had called the local newspaper person that someone would have showed up with a camera and taken a picture like this, and maybe they would have gotten out of there before the military got on scene. I mean, so this part is also very believable to me. It goes on, it says, UFO journalist B.J. Booth says of the Cape Girardeau story, This case ends like many others, but it appears by all indications to be authentic. All who have come in contact with Charlotte Mann have found her to be a trustworthy person, was not given to sensationalism, and she has sought to gain, and she has sought no gain from her account. Charlotte Mann moved from Cape Girardeau to Tyler, Texas. Based on his own analysis of the Cape Girardeau episode, noted ufologist Ryan Wood says 
one can reasonably conclude that there was a crash event. The implications of this case, if fully proven, are part of the larger picture. Namely, extraterrestrial visitors are real, and certain factions of the government have been hiding this fact since at least 1941. Wood also says the final resolution of this case is still out there. It may come in the form it may come in form of new physical evidence, bits of wreckage, new witnesses, historical air photography, soil samples, or archived research. All of these fronts are being actively worked and there is reason to predict success. Now I would just say interject here, you know, at this point in time when we have for profit UFO research companies on the prowl, I mean it's kinda like uh the Mike and Frank of the UFO world out there looking for uh, UFO artifacts, metamaterial, whatever. If the stuff turns up, we have to wonder if we'll have a chance of seeing it or if they'll simply uh, sell it uh, to the uh, U.S. Army, U.S. Air Force, Navy, whoever, and somehow monetize it. That's kind of the problem we have right now when we have uh, UFO pickers basically out there scavenging the countryside for this stuff. It says, For Ryan Wood's in-depth analysis and extensive documents of this case, Google evidence for a crash retrieval in Cape Girardeau. Quite an interesting article there. Now, I have um, another article here I did find, and I posted a link to it uh, on my Twitter account, UFO Warning, and now, while I'm on here real quick, I just want to mention that I posted another uh, link on the Twitter account to a uh, UFO documentary show that's out there. It's Nick Pope, and I'm sorry, but I can't remember the other fellow's name. Anyway, something UFO basement. I've watched a couple of the videos. They are completely awesome, okay? And I put a link there. They're on YouTube. And I've watched two of them, and I have never seen so much... UFO investigation data and information packed into one little 30-minute show. And I think they're either sponsored by or connected with New York Post. I don't know. But you can go to the website. Uh, like I said, you can link there from the Anchor website right to my UFO Warning uh, Twitter account. I think it's uh, Warning Sub UFO. Anyway, uh, if you want to do a follow, do a follow, and, I'll, and I try to always follow back. But you can link to that video, and then you can link to this article right here. And this co- comes from like four years ago. It's KFVS News, KFVS12.com. And it, it says, uh, 75th anniversary of alleged UFO crash in Cape Girardeau. And they got like a little minute-long report, which is fine. And uh, it says here it's by Amber Rush and Cade Brosman, April 12, 2016. It starts off, it says, an urban legend in Cape Girardeau is believed to be an alien cover-up and the crash before Roswell. Now, I have to say, I would not call this an urban legend, okay? I'm not really sure that Cape Girardeau is that urban. It's more of a, it's more of a UFO um, account that's been handed down over a couple generations now. It says, April 12th marked the 75th anniversary of alleged Cape Girardeau UF crash of 1941. Of course, we're four years past that now. Cape Girardeau UFO researcher Michael Huntington said the story dates back to 1941 when a reverend was called to what he thought was a plane crash to read the last rites of the passengers. The Reverend William Huffman 
who was the minister there, was called by the local sheriff to come assist in delivering some sort of last rites at a plane crash. That's when the reverend was under the impression that he... That's what the reverend was under the impression he was going to do. A car arrived at his house, which was nearby the current Red Star Baptist Church location, and they drove about 18 miles or so outside of Cape Girardeau, closer to the Chaffee area. When they showed up on the scene, it was not a plane crash, it was allegedly a flying saucer, a classic silver round disc that had crashed that had started a fire. There were police and fire there to take care of the scene, put out the fire on a local farmer's field, Huntington said. The reverend arrived and saw a classic flying disc with part of the side ripped open and two alien bodies that were at least dead and one that may have been dying, may have been alive, couldn't breathe, he continued. The reverend looked inside the flying saucer and saw wires and components of some sort of alien design. There were strange hieroglyphics and bizarre knobs and dials. The reverend knew that he couldn't really give the last, the last rites. About that time, the Army Air Corps arrived from Sykeston's field and cordoned off the area and swore everybody to secrecy and confiscated any pictures. Well, apparently they didn't confiscate all the pictures because we now have been told by the reverend's daughter that at least one picture survived of two people holding up the alien. Now it goes on and says the Reverend knew that he couldn't really give last rites about the time the Army Corps air, air arrived from Sykeston's Field and cordoned off the area and swore everybody to secrecy and confiscated any pictures. There were pictures allegedly taken that night of men holding one of the alien bodies and somewhere out there are those pictures. It became part of a legend. It's Cape Girardeau's urban legend, Huntington said. According to the legend, the story was kept quiet for years but witnesses told the story on their deathbeds. The story got out through Charlotte Mann, who was a reverend's granddaughter, who began to give accounts of the story in the late 1970s. Huntington said, This story has been known about by UFO researchers for as far back as then. It was a deathbed confession. Reverend Mann told to his granddaughter, and she had seen in pictures, I believe at one time, I believe, at one time of the alleged aliens, years after the event. Obviously, she told the researchers, and they began to look into it. Now, you can hear from the previous account that I just read, which actually, honestly, was a little more professionally done, how the author described that the picture was the very old Kodak style, where you had, like, the little, um, you know, half-moon indentions along the sides of the picture. That would tell me the picture was taken back, like, in the 40s, like, at the time. Whether you believe the stories or not, Huntington said the crash is important to history, folklore, and culture. This story, whether you believe it or not, is part of Cape Girardeau's history. It's part of our culture. It's part of our religious, our regional folklore. And it's part of a broader history of UFOs, which is a part of American history. Nobody can deny the influence of UFO culture, UFO stories, the visuals, the fascination. Nobody can deny that it's had an impact on American culture and American politics, Huntington said. Huntington asked that if you have any information on this alleged crash, please contact him or another researcher. And then he says here, if anybody out there within the Cape Girardeau area, or Jackson, or especially folks near Shafi, if you've heard any stories, share them with us. Try to get a hold of me or some of the other researchers out there. The more information we have, the more we can get an idea of what actually happened, Huntington said. 
And like I said, I've linked to this uh, article here, and you can find it on my Twitter feed account. It's got a nice, it's got a, it's got a nice uh, drawing here. I'm not sure if that was done at the time, but it shows a saucer with the classic dome over it. Uh, it has an alien sitting inside of it. But there were four aliens. They must have really been crammed in that thing. And you, know, you kind of wonder. The fascinating thing about this story is we have this alien uh, interaction. And it seems like it was kind of an ongoing thing from just as World War II uh, was kicking off until after the war and then beyond that. But it's another it's another trend that we see that when uh, there seems to be a lot of uh, a lot of negativity in the air, such as a war or such as what we're going through right now, it always seems to correspond with UFO encounters. And in this case, we have not just UFO encounters; we have UFO crashes. And why these things were crashing? Well, some people think it might have had something to do with the uh, radios being, you know, towers being put up. I mean, uh, the countryside was being electrified, or maybe it was even something to do with the government themselves. Uh, you had Sykes' Air Force Base, they say. They seem to have showed up there fairly quickly after the crash. So we have to think that even uh, back in 1941, uh, the military, the Air Force in particular, was monitoring these things. If they had been monitor monitoring these things, then you have to wonder how they got there so quickly. Unless, of course, maybe uh, law enforcement had called them to notify them of an airplane crash, thinking that it, it could have been, you know, one of ours. Either way, the whole article is very interesting, and it's so much fun to go back and look at these things that happened 60, 70 years ago and see how much they have in common with the same kind of encounters that happen even today. Until next time, this is UFO Warning, over and out.